I was either going to go to Australia and just stay drunk for the rest of my life, or I was going to go to India and get really holy, you know, join an ashram. Th those are my choices. And I heard a voice in my head that spoke to me. And it said, Bill, you are 27. If those are your choices, there's something wrong with you. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, my lords. Hello, my ladies. That was the voice of Father Bill W. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you are going to be hearing so much more from him in just a minute. On this here episode number 201. Dos zero uno. But first things first, this episode is brought to you by, sponsored by, if you will, Rich and Jennifer, Trudy and Kate and Gerhardt and David. Let me fill you in on what these fine folks did. They went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow Donate tab, and they made a, a contribution. Thank you so much, Rich and Jennifer and Trudy and Kate and Gerhard and David for helping us keep on the virtual lights. This episode is coming right out to you. I, John M., just another bozo on the proverbial bus, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. I was struggling for a word there, so what do I want to call this bus? But nonetheless, uh, we'll be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. And guess what? I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table and let's get spun up today. Remember, no matter who you are or what, your past looks like, you're welcome here. It's an open table, and we're glad you have joined us. All right, so let's talk about Father. This gentleman's name, yes, is Bill W. Can you believe it? Father Bill 
W. I couldn't even believe it when I first heard about it. By the way, oh, let me go ahead and tell you, uh, I ran, oh, I think we actually talk about it on the beginning of this episode, but a listener wrote in, her name is Crystal, and uh, she said, you gotta have this guy on the pod, and he actually has his own podcast, so I was able to go out there and listen to him, and I got in touch with him, and fortunately, he agreed to be on my podcast, Father Bill W. is the purveyor, is that a word? Yeah, purveyor of www.twowayprayer.org, and you spell out to T-W-O, and I highly recommend you check out his website and his uh, podcast. He is, uh, I, I, I just loved spending time with him, and I'll remember, hopefully, I will remember, sometimes I forget after I say these things, to put that particular link in the show notes for this particular uh, episode, for those of you who look at that. Nonetheless, um, Father Bill has, Father Bill W. has been sober since December 29th of 1972. That is 48 years for those of you trying to calculate that in your little brain there. That's a long time. We discussed Father Bill's pilgrimage via hitchhiking to Detroit, Michigan, uh, or from Detroit, Michigan to La Jolla, California. Uh, We spoke about the wall Father Bill hit at 20 years sober and how he navigated that. We talk about the story of the five M's and the Oxford group. Father Bill is a noted expert, I guess is what you would call it, on the Oxford group. So that's just a taste of what we cover here during our episode. So sit back and enjoy, and we will have plenty Oh. Listener feedback at the end of this ep. Enjoy. Hello, Mr. Bill W. And that is Father Bill W. So first of all, Father Bill W., why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and go ahead and tell people where you live in this great land of ours. Uh, well, my sobriety date, John, is twelve twenty-seven of seventy-two, and uh, I am in Buda, Texas, just south of Austin. Uh, Buda, yes, B-U-D-A. B-U-D-A. I just drove through Buda recently on a, yeah. a trip, a little vacation that we were having there. Right. Cool. Um, it's a nice little town. We've just been here about two years. Moved from Round Rock, uh, north of Austin. So. It's which side of the traffic do you want to be on here? <laughs> <laughs> and so you say we, is that you and your bride? Yes, yeah. Yeah, uh, and we have a daughter down here in, in the South Austin, and she wasn't coming to visit us that much because of the traffic. So it was it was move or say goodbye to the grandkids. Uh, I completely get it. And how long have y'all been married? Uh, let's see, about 47 years. Wow. That is great. And so help me with the math. You've been sober since 1972. How many years is that? Uh, So 48. 48 years. Uh Wow. Do you run across many people with 48 years? Well, I run across them with 50 and I'm jealous, you know, so it's... uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
some defects have not been removed, John. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh, wow. That's great. So, okay. So, well, for, let me talk about your name right off the bat. You are okay. Father Bill W. So, when you introduce yourself at meetings, do you put the father in front of it? Do you just say Bill? Do you say Bill W? When I'm at meetings, it's just Bill. Uh, if I'm speaking on a, you know, it depends on how they've uh, announced it. Uh, I, I go either way. Gotcha. So, yeah. But it has been, I'm sure, an interesting ride. A lot of questions along the way about being Bill W. in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't have a chance. I'm from New York. I mean, there, there are a number of uh, uh, similarities there. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's God's God's sense of humor, I suppose. <laughs> well, let me tell people how we came about each other. We or we 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 came across each other, mm -hmm. I should say. Uh, I had a listener of mine uh, write in to the podcast. Her name is Crystal. I believe she's up from the Midwest. I think it's the Wisconsin area, if I'm not mistaken. And she wrote in and she suggested you as a guest that I had not heard of you before. Uh, and she says he has a podcast and that always makes it easier for me to, you know, kind of go out and find somebody's work, so to speak, and see if they're, you know, possibly a fit for what we do here on Sober Speak. Right. And I went out there and listened to your podcast and immediately I was just smitten, if you will, with <laughs> your work and what you were doing. And I reached out to you and said, you know, would you feel comfortable doing this? And we went back and forth and I actually had to cancel on you once because I, I think I was traveling for some reason. I don't remember what it was, but we finally got together here and I'm so happy to be here with you. I am as well. All right. So let's go ahead and... Okay, so there's a couple things I want to do with you. You're a little bit different than most of the guests I have on in that. And I mean that in a, in a good way. I see you laughing okay. over there. In that, I'm usually just concentrating on people's stories, and we're kind of digging into that story and you know, seeing where they came from. They're sharing their experience, strength, and hope within Alcoholics Anonymous or Al-Anon or something like that. In this particular case, I want to go into your story, but I also want to talk about your passions. And I want to talk about your podcast, and I want to talk about the website that you have. So uh, let's go ahead with your story first. Uh, as we, you know, how do you sum up 48 years in, in, in a few minutes, uh, and, and even before that, in a few right. minutes, and how you got to Alcoholics Anonymous? But obviously, you have the title Father in front of your name. So why don't you go back and just kind of give us a thumbnail sketch of you know, where you came from, how you got here, and your journey in Alcoholics Anonymous. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, I'm from New York City uh, originally, um, come from a long line of alcoholics. Every single male member of my family uh, was alcoholic, half of the women. So I think the sensitivity there, uh, physical, uh, was very strong. Um, I uh, had my first drink uh, I guess I was around. And just real quick, Father yeah. Bill, did you realize that when you were growing up that they were alcoholic well, or did it take some time? Well, okay. well, there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of ha hatred towards drinking. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I didn't know the words. 
but I knew something was wrong and, uh, and I didn't like it. I did not like when my father drank because uh, I knew trouble was coming. And the same was true for many of the, the men in my family. So I was, I was leery of it, but I thought I could outsmart it, you know, uh, wasn't going to affect me that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did. Uh, it, it grabbed a hold of me uh, pretty quickly, actually. Uh, I, I, I think, you know, I, I would call myself a, a problem drinker right from the beginning. You know, I had a, a friend uh, who cared about me. I was about 16. He said, Bill, there are people who uh, shouldn't drink. And then there are people who shouldn't even think about drinking. And then there's you, because <laughs> I had a real personality change when I drank, and I did some crazy things. Did some imagine that? Huh? Imagine that, yeah. 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 So, so you you kind of had some. So you knew as you were growing up that they there was a proclivity, if you will, toward alcoholism uh, within you because of your family history, but you thought you could outsmart it and started playing around with it. Sure. It was my friend. Yeah. It was my best friend. So uh, I wasn't going to let go of it, uh, but, but problems came along and uh, I, I quickly began what, what I, you know, uh, the, the geographical cure with my alcoholism. It took me literally all around the world. So um, I would go places and I would uh, do the job as it had never been done before. So the grandiosity and the ego stuff was there. But then in time, the drinking would catch up with me. So I began a pattern of six months, eight months in a, in a, in a position or such the alcohol would catch up and then I'd run. Uh, And um, I was in the peace. I did good things. I was always a a good deed doer. (laughs) Uh, And, and, and so, I mean, I worked, I was in the Peace Corps. I taught history in New York city. I uh, uh, worked on a kibbutz in Israel What's a kibbutz? I'm sorry. Um, a kibbutz is a communal living uh, uh, farm uh, that uh, it's sort of utopia. I was looking for utopia. And, um, and so is it like one of those police places where everybody kind of gets together and, and combines their resources and lives yes. together? Yes. Yes. It's it talks com- about that in the Bible. and. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, I wasn't Jewish, of course, uh, but uh, it attracted me. And um, <clears throat> so I went and I, I, it was an opportunity to study Hebrew for six months and work on a, on a farm half the, half the day. And, um, but I drank there. You know, I found. So, and b- yeah. before we leave that, though, I just wanted your your experience looking back on a kibbutz many years later. Now, it, was it a positive one? Was it oh, neutral, sure. negative? I don't. I don't regret any of the trips I took. Gotcha. No, it was. It was. It was wonderful. I, um, w- would you recommend a kibbutz to somebody who's seeking that sort of lifestyle? No, I, I probably wouldn't. I went back and visited the kibbutz. I was back in Israel. Uh, 
with a friend, went over there, I guess it's about seven years ago now, and I made it a point to go and travel to the kibbutz. It didn't fare very well. Uh, it was right on the Lebanese border. Uh, we were getting bombed uh, uh, quite often. Um, it, it was dangerous uh, back in those days. This was, you know, uh, the, the war was in 67. Uh, it, was, it was soon after that. Uh, it, it was risky. You know, I, I think there's a suicidal element to this illness and it, that was probably operating at some level, mm. you know? So uh, would I recommend it? Yeah, well, I would recommend it. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating experience and, uh, and um, an amazing country, you know? Uh, the last time I went back, it was uh, kind of on the Palestinian side. So <laughs> first time was the Israeli side. Second time was uh, in East Jerusalem uh, at a an Anglican college over there uh, where there were Christians. Um, and anyway, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, very I love, cool. I love travel. I love travel. All right. So I kind of got you off course. You were talking about, so, but the drinking kind of came into the It would always follow there. me. It would always follow me. Uh, I worked at the Catholic worker uh, facility in Milwaukee. I, I wound up in a Jesuit seminary in Detroit. Uh, I was going to become a Catholic priest. How old were you at this time? I was 25 when I entered. Uh, and I was looking for a place where I could drink and look good and, uh, and basically not do life. Look like I'm doing life but not do life. And by you say looking good, does that mean that you have the collar on? Well, um, I mean, that was one element. I mean, being a teacher looks good. Be, all the things I did looked good. You know, uh, I, I was always kind of driven towards doing good things. Uh, the collar, I, 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 I usually... <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I'd probably wear it if I was uh, in, in, getting arrested or something, uh, picket, <laughs> picketing. So I, I was, I was, I was not sort of drawn to look at me. I'm a priest, kind of thing. That that never interested me. Uh, okay, so you just yeah. wanted to look responsible, though, in some form or fashion. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not an alcoholic like the rest of those people. That's right. Okay, so you're in Detroit. I'm in Detroit, and um, I'm older than most of the guys in the seminary. So they did nice, holy Catholic things, and uh, I kind of did weird things. I was always attracted to the weirdness. So I, I wound up uh, volunteering at an alcohol and drug treatment center in downtown Detroit. There was 187 alcoholic men living in an abandoned schoolhouse. And there was some uh, fabulous stuff going on there. And, uh, and I volunteered there. And they requested that as part of the process, I go through treatment on an outpatient basis. So I did. And uh, got, did group therapy. And, uh, and then started learning about addiction. 
So you had asked me earlier, did I, you know, were, were the, I didn't know the labels. I didn't understand what the illness was really all about. I just knew I, I hated uh, drunkenness uh, that got violent. Um, I did not, I did not get violent. Um, but I learned what it was. And uh, so there's my father, there's my grandfather, there are my uncles. Uh, I, de- I could identify those. And they're saying, and what about you? What about you? And I'm saying, no, 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 no. I can handle it. I can handle it. Um, well, I couldn't handle it. And, and, and I sh- showed that. Long story short, I started going to meetings. Uh, I, I caved in a little bit. And uh, I, I got it intellectually that I was an alcoholic. And um, what went from Do you remember your first meeting and what it was like? Uh, it was kind of terrifying. Uh, you know, down in the basement, I felt like I was going to a meeting of the Communist Party. You know, <laughs> it's like we will meet at such and such a restaurant and change cars and we'll take you there. And, uh, okay, you know, do I wear a trench coat or what? You know, uh, What's the signal? Yeah, uh, we're always in the basements, aren't we? Always in the basements, right. Uh, <laughs> especially in Detroit. They're, they're big on basements. Uh, so um, did that. Um, and then I, I went out. Uh, the, 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 the psychological part really started to interest me. So I went out that summer, one summer, and I studied under Carl Rogers, pretty famous psychologist in California. And I uh, hitchhiked. I made a pilgrimage of the of the event. So I hitchhiked from Detroit out to La Jolla in in California. Wow, that's a long st- trek. Yeah, and I and, and took no money with me. No money, not not a penny. But I had a letter from my uh, superior saying Bill is a Jesuit novice, and uh, if you could help him, that'd be great. And I would stay at monasteries along the way. And um, and then, unfortunately, a, a guy picks me up in Arizona, and he's got a six-pack of beer, and he says, do you want a drink? And, you know, just like uh, Wilson on Staten Island, I said, well, sure. Sure, sure, I'll have a drink. And, and it, was, it was like AA had never happened. And so I drank for another year and a half or so, but now I was drinking underground. So I didn't want people knowing because I'd already admitted that I had a problem. So now I'm sneaking it. Wound up in uh, Cleveland at Case Western Reserve University. I'm supposed to be helping the chaplain down there. And I am stealing gallons and gallons of wine and bringing them back to my room and getting very drunk and in trouble. And the stuff was really about to hit the fan again. You know, it had caught up with me. And... That was my bottom. I um, I was going to run. I was going to leave the Jesuits. And, and um, I was either going to go to Australia and just stay drunk for the rest of my life. Uh, or I was going to go to India and get really holy. You know, join an ashram. <laughs> Th- those are my choices. <laughs> and I heard a voice in my head that spoke to me and it said, Bill, you are 27. If those are your choices, there's something wrong with you. 
And that was my bottom. That was devastating. Uh, I didn't understand it at the time, but it was the crack of my ego. It came apart. And if I went to India, I was screwed. And if I went to Australia, I was screwed because there was something wrong with me and I needed to get that fixed. I didn't know what it was. I went back to a therapist that I had worked with at that treatment center and he, we had a conversation and he said, uh, Bill, you're, you're 27. You're, you're not at a physical bottom. You can probably drink for 10 more years, but you are at a spiritual bottom and you ain't going to make 10 years. And I knew he was right. Uh, I knew it. I knew it. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to live on Skid Row for one year. I want you to check into the Salvation Army. And, um, and I want you to look every alcoholic and addict that you meet in the eye and say, there but for the grace of God goes I. Hmm. Identify. In other words, he says, if, if you can identify, then you don't, have to, you don't have to drink your way down. But you got to get down. So you got to get to that point. There's only one point. And, and, and it, it doesn't matter that much how we get there. But we have to get there, you know, uh, for, for the thing to really be effective. Three days earlier, I wouldn't have done it. Three days later, I wouldn't have done it. That day, uh, I was willing. Hmm. And so I went. I, I got a leave of absence from the Jesuits, uh, uh, w- which was kind of unheard of. But they really liked me. You know, they just <laughs> you take him. You know, <laughs> we don't know what the hell to do with him. <laughs> so I, uh, I went and I checked into Salvation Army and I, I worked spot labor jobs for a year. Uh, well, I was there for six months and then I... I went to a kind of an AA halfway house. Uh, I did a year. I did. I did my year, and then that treatment center hired me. They figured I was serious at that point, and uh, had met my wife uh, to be at, at that time. Actually, met her the first time. She wouldn't have anything to do with me when I was still drinking. So uh, um, anyway, uh, after after a year, I. Uh, I began a counselor training program at that facility and worked in the field for 40 some odd years uh, as, as a counselor, family therapist, kind of worked my way up the, up the ladder and, um, and got married, had three kids. Uh, and, um, and then my story, the problem when you got almost 50 years, your story gets kind of long, you know, <laughs> But it has two parts to it, John. And, and the second part started at 20 years sober when I hit a wall. And it was like uh, another 90 meetings in 90 days wasn't going to fix what was wrong with me. And another trip through the 12 steps was not going to fix what was wrong with me. All right. So I was kind of hitting a second bottom. Let me take a little break and we'll go there. We will be continuing our conversation with Father Bill W. in just a moment.
Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy neither endorsed nor opposed any causes all right now back to father bill w all right so this is a subject near and dear to my heart because i have been sober for quite a long time myself and i have been up to these places to where i go oh my goodness i'm going to a lot of meetings i'm yeah. working the steps i'm working with others i'm doing everything that's that that is suggested so to speak by the program right. of alcoholics anonymous and i'm still yeah. running up against a wall so you're 20 years sober yeah you're up against this wall take me from there yeah and um i uh I was out in West Texas, and I went uh, out to dinner with uh, there was a Unity minister uh, in AA, and and I told him what was going on with me. And just so I know, that's from the Unity Church, is that correct? Yeah, gotcha. yeah, uh, yeah. I think I was doing Course in Miracles and things of that nature of that point. I think there was a a meeting of that at meeting at his church. I think that's how we made the the connection. And what city were you in at the time? Uh, it was, uh, I think it was Lubbock or Amarillo. I, I can't recall. It okay, was, it was in Texas though. Okay, it, oh yeah, it was, yeah, it was kind of that West Texas thing. Um, and um, he asked me if I heard the story of the five M's, uh, which was uh, the story of spiritual institutions. Uh, and that story changed my life uh, because I, I, once I heard it, I recognized that uh, I was looking in AA for an institution, an organization to bring about a change that it could only point me towards mm. but could not provide. So uh, the story very quickly is there's a man, the man could be Jesus, Buddha, Bill Wilson. The man has a spiritual experience. And as a result of that, he has, he has an encounter with God. And he comes back with the second M, which is the message. And, and the core of the message is who you are. And who you are ain't who you thought you were. <laughs> you know? right. it, it never is. Uh, uh, you, you're connected to God. You know, it's Jesus in in the Jordan. This is my son. This is the beloved. Uh, it's Paul on the road to Damascus. It's Buddha sitting under uh, the Bodhi tree. Uh, it, it's Moses on the mountaintop. It's an encounter. Comes back with the message. And then it becomes a program of attraction, a movement, the third M. So the man, the message, the movement, and the movement of the early people who are attracted uh, to that message because they're looking for the same thing themselves. Uh, and and it's, it's an exciting time. But then the fourth M is when you organize and you bring in the attorneys and the secretaries, and we write down the rules and the regulations, who's in, who's out, who's in charge, and who's not. And that's the machine. Mm. 
the mechanization. Um, I tell the joke, you know, you know, in the, in the church, it's it's I get to wear the the pointy hat and be the bishop, and I carry a big stick and I knock you on the head if you step out of line. In AA, it's the central office, you know, and uh, you now you now should be reading literature that we approve, you know. Uh, God, don't venture beyond that, for God's <laughs> sakes, you know. Uh, if it doesn't have the stamp on it run like hell, you know, and, uh, and it's all about control. It's all about control. And it's all, it becomes about the mechanical delivery of the transformational process. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You see, I mean, I, I tell the joke, uh, 200 years from now, we're at an AA conference and, and, and mechanically someone will hold up the sacred coffee pot that Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson drank from, you know, and, and we'll all kneel down at the coffee <laughs> pot and we'll have the, the ashes of the first 100, you know, their cigarette ashes, you know, and, uh, and you'll, you'll, you'll make the sign of the cross on your forehead and that'll get you sober. You know, it'll, it'll become magic, you know, magic uh, instead of mystery. And then there's the fifth M is the mausoleum because it's dead. So I ask people, have you been to a dead AA meeting? Have you been in a dead church? And every time I ask it, they say, yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. So that story, it, it, it did more than intrigued me. I mean, it, it, it helped me understand uh, spiritual institutions that I had been a part of. Then I was looking for something for them to give me which they really couldn't give me. You understand? That, uh, that, you know, they didn't have it. You have to have it inside of you, and you have to bring it there. Uh, it's very difficult to get it from them without, without undergoing the transformation yourself, you know, going, undergoing the, the 5M journey yourself. So um, it was right after that that I met a, a, a man in Oklahoma City uh, who was an AA archivist. And I kind of told him my story, uh, uh, looking for something deeper. And he was really interested in the, in the Oxford group and the history of AA. And I spent three hours with him one night. And uh, that, that really changed my life. That, that story and, uh, and then meeting Earl Husband was his name. Uh, uh, I heard the steps in a different language. I heard, I heard the what they were doing in the Oxford group, what Bill Wilson was doing, what Dr. Bob was doing, what the first 100 people were doing before there were any steps. The big book says, these are the steps we took. That's not true. There were no steps. <laughs> Bill Wilson just wrote those things down, you know? Right. They did not have steps but they did have a transformational process. And, uh, and, and I, st I heard it differently, John. And that was, that was the, the thing that really began to open me up uh, and excite me again. I was excited, you know, as first in AA, I was excited, uh, but I lost it. And, and, and what I found the second time was the focus on prayer and meditation rather than the focus on meetings. 
and the, and and the emphasis of guidance versus well do what your sponsor tells you to do you know it was a whole different take on a very similar process and i left there with a, a stack of oxford group books that uh, earl gave to me i started studying them uh i uh quickly came upon this thing called two-way prayer that they were doing uh, that we called the 11th step but we hid it it was it was in there but vague and disguised you know and uh and wilson said he said he said he thought aa lost something when they moved away from that uh, and Dr. Bob uh, continued practicing it. So I think I came across the original program and then started working it with a real focus on prayer and meditation that was different. Father Bill W., this is absolutely fascinating to me. Um, now, here's what I run across with folks like you on a consistent basis that have really good detailed information, and I want to talk about it a little bit more is that I'm concerned that we're going to run out of time. So will you do me a favor? So I, I, I want to come back at some other point and talk about the two-way prayer, the Oxford group, this transformation that you had during uh, you know, the, the 20 plus year um, sobriety that you had at the time. And I want to flesh that out a little bit more. Would you be good coming back with me and sharing about that at some other point? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So Father Bill, what I usually do is I go ahead and read from page 164 of the big book to kind of close us out. We'll go ahead and close it out now. We'll schedule some time to get back together and we'll come back and we'll talk about this a little bit more. On page 164, it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Father Bill, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Father Bill, I'll look forward to talking to you again sometime very soon, okay? Sounds great, John. Thank you. Bye-bye. Father Bill W., thank you one more time for your insight and your wisdom. And we will look forward to having you back on a second episode next week, everybody. So set your clocks. I guess that's what you do. Maybe you set notifications or something like that for when the new episodes come out. You probably don't set your clocks, but it sounded good. I think that's what they used to say on TV or something like that. Nonetheless, on to a little bit of a listener feedback. Tony D writes in, and when I think of Tony D, I think of a couple things. Number one, we've had a Tony D, who was a friend of mine, on the podcast before. But I also think about Tony D, for those of you who are... Who are Dallas Cowboy fans, but even if you aren't a Dallas Cowboy fan, you would probably remember Tony Dorsett. But I digress. This is neither one of those guys. Tony D writes and he says, Hi, John. I don't always get to hear your podcast as a single unit. 
just due to a he- hectic every day, which by the grace of God, I can now control. But the snippet you put out about Danny B in episode 199 on Instagram in quotes, he left me a little bit broken because I am a prideful person. By the way, I want to go ahead and mention here that the lovely Miss Cassandra actually puts out those various uh, snippets uh, in those uh, audiograms or whatever that you call it on um, uh, uh, Instagram. <laughs> I can't even remember the name of the app. <laughs> But I want to say thank you, uh, Cassandra, for putting those out there. Uh, People actually are looking at them and listening to them. But anyway, uh, Tony goes on. He says, that is probably the truest and deepest sentence I have ever heard from another fellow. So let me go ahead and read that again, what he's referencing. It says, he, this is what uh, Danny B said, he left me a little bit broken because I am a prideful person. And then uh, Tony goes on, I didn't get the true spiritual awakening before almost five years of sobriety had passed. A lot of things had happened in my daily life. I was suffering from chronic migraines. I thought my marriage was broken. In fact, My wife has codependency issues, which I am gradually working on with her. Then the pandemic and my mother, then the pandemic and my mother passed away in parentheses. I live in Norway and my folks were in Scotland and I am the only child. Um, So perhaps, or closed parentheses, I guess that's the proper term. So perhaps I truly search and then maybe It was there. One thing is very, very certain. However, my higher power, God, was carrying me. He never once let me drink. God maintained my sobriety. He got me good treatment for my migraines. He allows me to FaceTime with my dad every day, something which gives us hope. But yes, I feel a little broken. Keeping it in the eye, I don't know if it's relevant for all fellows, but I sure see it in me. But I have more serenity in my life than I ever have. Thanks for what you do. Best regards slash... Venlig Hilson. I am assuming that is Norway language for best regards, Tony D. So Venlig Hilson, right back at you, Tony D. And thank you for writing in. I appreciate it. John DMs me on the IG and he says, John M, I absolutely love your podcast. I listen to it almost every day, digging through old episodes and always waiting for the next one. So many incredible guests. I've been sober now for a little over seven months, but I've been listening for a couple of years. Your service is invaluable to me, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. God bless you. Well, John, God bless you, and thank you for contacting me. I I appreciate it. By the way, for those of you who do want to contact me, especially if you have something to say about 
some of the speakers that we've had on. I always love to get comments about the various speakers and what they've meant to you. I'm at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. James writes in and he says, my name is John. My name is James H. I live in Memphis, Tennessee. Thank you so much for your podcast. About two years ago, I went to my first AA meeting. It helped me for a while, but after a month or two, I stopped going. I convinced myself that I didn't need it. Recently, I've been attending a men's recovery group not associated with AA. The group helped me be, uh, me, the group helped me become more open to the idea of a higher power. Not long after joining that group, I discovered your podcast. I listen every day while I'm at work and it's had a huge impact on me. I was listening to Reno John's episode about miracles yesterday and it finally clicked for me. I joined the super secret Facebook group and asked for recommendations for a Zoom meeting. Last night I did my first Zoom meeting and I came back to AA. Amazingly, one one of the speakers that's been on your podcast just happened to be in the meeting. I was blown away and I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Within 24 hours, I had decided to come back, found a meeting, and now I have a temporary sponsor. Once again, thank you so much for all you do. God bless you. Well, God bless you, James. Man, that is a great story. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And, uh, be well up there in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Lucas DMs on the old IG. Lucas says, hi, John. Thank you so much for the podcast. I, like so many others, listen to your podcast and it has been a valuable resource for me. I live in Estonia. I'm originally from England and I'm in a fairly remote area. The only physical near me is in is in Estonian, is in Estonia, I guess. Great guys, but communication is limited. Oh, Lucas, my goodness. That is, oh, I, I can't even, you know, so many of us are so lucky to live so near so many meetings. And, and God bless you, Lucas. My heart goes out to you. And I think it's great that you, you keep on keeping on. And then he says, between Zoom meetings, your podcast, my sponsor, and my higher power, and I have managed four months now. Thanks again. Well, God bless you, Lucas. Congratulations on your four months, and that's absolutely fantastic to hear. Give our best to all your fellow Estonians uh, who uh, would be interested in hearing our best, my best, whatever the case may be. Paul S., writes in, he says, John, I've been sober since June of 1989. I stopped going to meetings after three years because I, because I could not find a sponsor. Is it common for people to have issues like this? To me, meetings may have been open, but not very friendly. So I read this. I, um, I wrote back to Paul and I said, hey, you know, maybe you can join the, the Facebook group, uh, the, the secret Facebook group, you know, ask some questions like that in there. And I just said, you know, this has not been my experience, but I recognize that everyone has a different experience in AA. And, and I, 
and, and and I respect your experience, right? And I hope though that you somehow, some way, uh, find a better experience within the rooms of AA at some point. Larry writes in, he says, Hey, John M., I am a newcomer in AA on day two. Day two. Oh, Larry, gotta love you, my friend. He says, I am currently living in Mexico since I was hired overseas. I found Sober Speak because I'm attending two 24-7 meetings, and one is called aahomegroup.org if anybody wants to find that they can and the other is a 24/7 aa international meeting anyway he says i am both i am both with them in facebook i guess the name of sober speak was mentioned in one of them by the by one of the members and i felt interested about finding your podcast well i'm glad those members mentioned us mr larry he says i desperately needed some help all sources from the fellowship are never enough. I already have a sponsor who is helping me work through the recovery program of AA. I am currently reading the doctor's opinion. I would really like to know how this group works. Thanks. Uh, oh, uh, thanks, John M. He said, uh, and that was Larry. So I, uh, when he says, I want to know how this group works, what he meant was the secret Facebook group, by the way, just in case you're new to this podcast, you go to the, uh, the application of uh, the Facebook and you search see, uh, sober speak secret Facebook group and, and, and it should pop up and you can ask to be admitted in there. And I just told him just to kind of spend some time in there, kind of digging around. Uh, you'll see there's a bunch of like-minded people just like you. Um, some people ask questions, some just lurk a little, uh, some like to post things. I'm not much of a poster myself, to tell you the truth. I just kind of, I lurk every once in a while, pretty much what I do. But uh, anyway, Larry, thanks for writing in. Kate writes in. It's Kate B, by the way, and she says, John, I'm a little over 90 days. Your podcast is the quote, I want to have what they have in, oh, unquote, I want to have what they have, unquote, inspiration that I need to get through my day. I work from home. I stop and I start your podcast throughout my day, emptying the dishwasher, putting on my makeup, etc. It's perfect. You know, I listen to it when I put on my makeup too, Miss uh, Kate. Just kidding. Nonetheless, uh, thank you so much, Kate, for, for uh, writing in. And I'm glad that we can be the I want to have what they have inspiration for you. <laughs> it is the same for me, Kate. A lot of these people I bring on and I think I want to have what they have. I completely get it. We, ladies and gents, have made it through uno mas we semana uno mas semana one more week of the sober speak as always i'm taking this one week at a time keep coming back it works if you work it god bless all of you uh love you uh hope to see you soon bye-bye